I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships and teams, well-being and inclusion. Here I offer deep insights and practical tips for work and life. I had an insightful conversation with Dr. Tawano Burrows earlier this month. She's an amazing black woman leader who's filling a gap in professional coaching around diversity. I love what she is bringing to the profession. But more than that, though, her life as a leader has been and still is incredibly intentional. Her way of being is remarkable and is a great example for others to emulate. Take a listen. You'll hear themes like unifier, disruptor, family, community, birther, and a little bit about a woman whose shoes were too loud. Dr. Luana Burrows, welcome. It's such a delight to have you on the Leadership Range today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm excited and I, I'm really delighted to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. Dr. Tarambao, she is the president of and founder of Coach Diversity Institute based in Washington, D.C., and an executive coach, and just about everybody wants to work with her because of her wisdom and brilliance. I'm going to let her uh, tell you a little bit more about herself professionally, and then we're going to get into it today. So, Tawana, why don't you let folks know who you are? Thank you, Neil. So, um, as the president of Coach Diversity Institute, um, my mission is to train change agents in the skill of coaching. So um, I use the word train um, in the space of because it's a new skill, but it's truly an education, um, a learning journey that I like to say. And so I have been um, given the honor and the purpose to um, attract some of the most amazing professionals who have decided that the coaching skill is something that they want to add to their resume or what they offer. Um, and so the being the founder of this has been um, a, a journey in itself, uh, recognizing yeah. what's happening in the world. But yeah, Coach Diversity had to, to this point, as we are talking today, we are um, almost six years old and we're celebrating um, almost 600 students who come through our community, our community of coaches and learned from us and in one of our training programs. And it's been amazing. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's what we do. And that's who I am. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I found out about, you know, coach diversity Institute, I was, I was delighted. And I, I think I've watched it for the last maybe three or four years. And, and I know things have probably changed a lot over those three to four years. And, and certainly over the last year, uh, just so much energy around the Institute and a lot of enrollments. I know that your programs are stacked full all the time. And uh, I love what you're saying about a learning journey. You know, I'm a coach trained a few times over and, and coaches are lifetime learners and coaches are on a lifetime learning journey. And I know for me, Although I am already a trained coach, I hope that one day you'll see me sitting in the seat, uh, maybe in front of you or in front of one of your instructors, learning again, because there's always more to grow and learn. Um, so thank you for that in this, you know, Women's History Month, 
yesterday is International Women's Day. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, and I'm delighted to have you here again. Um, there's something else I wanted to say about Coach Diversity Institute and it escapes my mind, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but I, I feel I, there's a little bit of a, uh, a celebrity giddiness I have. I'll admit that right now because you're, you know, you're a CEO and founder of, a, of, a, of, a, of an amazing program. And um, I just so appreciate you for doing it. Thank um, you. So what I do with my guests that come on with me, I, I want to invite you to share with listeners more about yourself, uh, sort of the learning journey of your life and how your leadership has developed over time. You know, from, from whatever point you choose, but you know, I, I'd love it if you would start at a, at a very young age, a youthful age perhaps, and that could be prior to university or during university, and just take us through a few inflection points that have influenced you and, and sort of brought you into the leader that you are today. Tell us about your learning journey. Neil, when you said how far back, right? So uh, my, you know, while you were describing this, this next segment, I was thinking every time you said that I took a skip like 10 years, it kept going, right? So where I landed when you said that, I landed in um, middle school, uh, I was in seventh grade mm. and my math teacher who I've spoken about, um, in different, very, very, you know, varying ways, this math teacher saw this disruptive, very unhappy girl in his class. And, um, I had come from out of the inner cities of DC, um, we've journeyed through, several um, communities where um, Black community was strong, right? Lots of representation. Went down to the Southern parts of, you know, the suburbs where it became less diverse. And so I never really embraced the fact that it lacked, my community lacked diversity. And so I was really still very disrupted as a child. This seventh grade math teacher who happened to be a white male, um, he called me on my stuff, I should say it directly, right? He would say to me in class, you know, Tawana, you're not paying attention. Tawana, you're not doing your best. Tawana, it was constant, right? And I just got sick of him. I got so sick of hearing him call my name that I would just, I would want to skip class all the time. So one day, um, I guess he had enough and so had I, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I had to stay after school. He, he was determined to punish me in some way. So I had to stay after school because it was, you know, algebra. I didn't really care. I mean, I didn't say that I wasn't, of course I was smart. I knew I could apply myself, but he decided to hold me back. And so this seventh grade math teacher who I will never forget, sat me down one-on-one -on -one and told me to my face that I was a leader mm -hmm. and that, the other students were following my lead in his class. And that he felt that if I would embrace math, that the others would embrace math. He also told me if I changed my attitude about my position in that school, that others would come along. And he wasn't specific about who. He didn't even, he didn't say other black kids. He just said generally across the board. Was I a popular kid? Yes. I knew I was popular, but not in the corny way. You know what I mean? It was like, I knew I was probably popular for the wrong reasons because I was 
disruptive. <laughs> so, so he wanted one to have order in his class. And so it was a win-win. I'm going to get order in a class. I'm going to bring this young lady to this position of attention. And then I'm going to give her what I know is true. And so he began to give me the messages that I needed to hear um, to get my attention that I would then have to explain to my parents as to why I was even after school with my math teacher. Um, and I had to explain to them it was because I was being disruptive and because I don't like math. And my mother, of course, and my father were not happy with that idea. But the more time I spent with this math teacher, um, the more I realized how much I enjoyed math. Mm-hmm. And the more I spent time with him, the more he made numbers come alive to me. And that was the turning point of me embracing who I was um, truly as a leader. Yes, I understood at that moment what that meant because he, with the education of math, also came life lessons, right? He had a son who was also in the same grade. We've known each other for several years up to that point. And his son, I'll never forget his name. His name was Russ. Russell and I would, you know, kid around with each other all the time. And of course, he probably knew of me through his son. So when I got to his class, he probably had his own, you know, background and he probably was ready for me. Right. But Mm -hmm. he used it as an opportunity. And to be honest with you, Neil, that was the turning point for me, because from that moment on, I never forgot that I was a leader. I never forgot my influence. I never forgot the power of my words. I never forgot the need to stand in my power academically. Um, I took advantage of opportunities to make sure that I was a unifier and not a divider. Um, And that continued all the way through until I finished um, high school and um, decided to go into the workforce. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's, that's powerful because what you've done it's a little bit different than many of my my guests so far is you've chosen one inflection point as the point in time that put you on the path. And there were a few things you said that I, I really love. You know, you were popular for the wrong in the wrong way because you were a disruptor. Leaders disrupt things. So I just needed to name that. <laughs> And you have created a disruption in coaching. Yes, I have. You created a disruption in coaching. And and you learned who you were. You said who I was as a leader. You had influence. This is remarkable. You were pretty young. I have influence. You know, did you, I mean, I don't know if you had that word in your head when you were that young, but you realized it was something in you that said, I have influence, period. Um. Math was, it could have been anything. This teacher knew that if you applied yourself, your influence would be different. Right. And he did it through math because math is problem solving skills. Yeah. In order for you to get the right answer, you have to, one, be patient with the process. The process repeats itself. Mm -hmm. If you don't study the laws and the rules, you'll always miss the outcome on the math problem. It'll always be wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it was repetition, repetition. It was neatness being orderly. Mm -hmm. Um, It was trying things out and, and, and testing and being okay with getting it wrong and doing it again to get it right. Right. So repetition is everything in math um, Mm -hmm. because you have to memorize 
the way you have to memorize the way of the, the, the problems and the rules. And so once math taught me that lesson, I was not afraid to test and retest anything. Right. Mm -hmm. I was not afraid to. And of course, that that continued on into my academics because I became a chemist and a mathematician at my undergrad work at Howard. Um, So Howard University took it to the next level. But that was the problem solving base that I had. and, and, And I allowed the education of math and application of mathematics to strengthen my problem solving skills. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you where else is this problem solving and order and process show up in your life? And I'm guessing the answer is everywhere. Everywhere. Neil, it's everywhere. And, and yeah. that's the gift of knowing that people who embrace the idea of being problem solvers. Mm-hmm. It's like, I see something that I don't like, I can judge it and dismiss it, or I can figure out what am I called to do something about it? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I everything I've been exposed to, I've always said there's a reason or a season. And so the reason was the first thing I was like, OK, there's a reason for it. So let me lean in and see what happens. And so I'm going to test and retest. So I'm going to show up and I'm going to show up in di- different ways and see what works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's for a season, then I'll play full out until it's over. So that is the base and so everything i've ever done connects to the other i've never had some wild card on you know that was just so extreme people are like what are you doing and that never happened with me some people have all the a lot of randomness in their lives and things just you know they're adventurous and they're creatives and there's just no real lines that connect things me i'm mean, very orderly and i'm very process driven so Every step connect to the other. So from seventh grade all the way through my doctorate, it all has to make sense to me. So Mm -hmm. the relationships I have, the students that I attract, it all has to make sense to me. And so that's my brain is wired for that in that way. And so I don't know if that's a bad thing that I think about it, Neil. (laughs) (laughs) You You know your strengths. You know your come from place. You know where you where you begin as a leader. And if we, if we start from that place, we can show up um, in a wide range of contexts if you come from your strength. So that's what I'm getting from you. Another thing that I'm getting that I, I need to, I, I just need to call it forward because I, it, it feels like a way that, you, that comes through your math and your order. You said that you are a unifier. Um, and that it just feels so intentional. You, you know, you also spoke about your words, you know, and the, the impact of your words. So I want you to just talk about that a little bit, being a unifier and the impact of your words and, and maybe even connect that to process and structure and just the intentionality. Right. So... Being a unifier means that it's almost like in math, there are variables. In math, there's variables in an equation and you solve for a variable. People are variables, right? So I'm thinking that each person plays a role. Each person has a part. The idea is to find out how do I make that variable work? How do I make them a part of the equation? What, What makes sense for them to where their significance is completely illuminated? Right. Mm -hmm. So to to look at individuals as 
as being a leader who believes in unifying folk is to bring out the best gifts and talents that they have to serve the greater good. So if that means that I have number of different people in my community, it is my ability to connect them and then create community for the purpose of whatever the agenda is, right? So bringing people together for a cause, being able to problem solve and create and this combination of brilliance so that we can achieve something amazing. So that's the unifier part of me. And, you know, I don't ever think that I can do it alone, right? And so that's the other part of it. So you can't do it all alone. You need community. You need, um, and whenever it's appropriate for you to be lead, to lead alone, you do. But most frequently, you don't do it alone. And so it's important that you learn the skill of being able to um, identify people's gifts and talents right away so that you can use them at their best. Mm-hmm. And so that's not only what we teach in coaching, but it is the way of leadership in any organization when you think about teams and, and engagement and employee engagement and being able to lead um, individuals and knowing their gifts and talents and how they, mm-hmm. they are able to support and serve the vision. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. Um, to completely illuminate their strengths, to, to completely illuminate their gifts and talents, to bring people together in teams or organizations and illuminate everyone to achieve some some goal, some cause. I love that. And 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 community is is what we're here to talk about a little bit today. So this is a great, great transition. So what we're gonna spend some time on now is Women's leadership and community. And that may seem really broad, but you're the perfect person to talk about this because this clearly has been a part of your evolution and a part of your way. So first of all, what what does, when this is, you know, this is the month of women. I'm going to call it that. I'm going to change it up a little. It's a month of women and and you're, you're a woman and you're a leader. So first of all, let's start with what does women's leadership and community mean to you? All right, so women's leadership and community means family. Mm. So not to add another word to it, but that's what it means to me. It means Mm. um, being a catalyst to be able to create because, you know, women are nurturers. Some of us women are, um, you know, being mothers, Women are creatives. There's so many layers to being a woman, but the most important to me is that we are birthers. We are able to give life. We are able to birth. We are able to conceive. And I think that being a woman in leadership means to be able to look at opportunities to nurture, to develop, to support, to create a true nucleus or a family. Um, it's a mindset thing, but I think that when I hear the word leadership and I'm thinking about you know being here in March, I think about um, being a, a creator, being someone who can birth greatness. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. That's yeah. what I believe. Well, I, I love that. So many awful words in their family, catalyst, creator, nurturer, birther. Um, so what, you're, you're an African-American woman and you're a woman and you're a leader. 
So for, for this one, at those intersections, what, what's important about this? In first, in I want to go into the workplace. I, I think I might go to some other places as well, but I want to go into the workplace first. What's important about women's role inside business, inside corporate America? Right. So because I am the child of a woman who was in the women's movement, the word role is not, it's, it's a little weird for me, mm -hmm. right? So the role of a woman is very weird. So what if I said, what if I said roles? Like right, cool. right. Roles, yes. Yes. But I think it's just the word roles, Neil. I think that's the problem. I mean, uh, you got to yeah. remember being in 1970, my mother, who was a very loyal wife, cared mm -hmm. for my father in a very traditional way. But when the women's movement started, it adjusted the household. Mm -hmm. completely adjusted the household. The an atmosphere of the home shifted when the idea the, of the role of the woman, what was traditionally defined to where it is today. So let's advance the word for me and say, yes, the role of the woman or the role of my, my community um, is to be whatever the hell we want to be. I think it's, for us to define it for ourselves, right? Um, to break traditions and stereotypes. So I believe that the, the role is to disrupt. If I go back to that seventh grade girl, again, cause that, that's who I am. So if the role, mm -hmm. if it means to, my role is to disrupt the traditional mm -hmm. mindset so that we can have transformation in the, in the workplace, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. So that's my role. And that's the, and if I can partner up with other women who understand that we are disruptors in a very positive way, um, then that's what our role is. That's the yeah. what that's what I see. Yeah, I think that you know that does that disruption is necessary to give birth to something new and to something better. As you were talking, um, I love how you um, dismantle role because uh, I was even thinking, well. Why do I have to be in a role? I'm a man. Why, you know, like why? Why do I have to be in a role? And I, the word that came to mind for me was, you know, what is your way? What are the ways of women? What you know, sort of path. It, it, so it, it opens up the space a little bit more, whether it's disruptive or not. Mm -hmm. It just feels a little bit more liberating and free. Mm -hmm. I appreciate of the that. way. Yeah. I appreciate that, Neil, because this is the first time when um, in sitting here with you, listening, you know, to this interview, I, as I'm talking and listening at myself at the same time, um, I think that I must be in a different place in my life to where, you know, and of course, age has a lot to do with it, but experience does too, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that you're right, that if we, that, you know, we all have roles, we have job descriptions, we have all that stuff, right? But um, I wasn't thinking of it in that traditional way. I'm thinking about, you know, more of a, a deeper meaning for me based on the interview questions you're, you're going through right now. And so that's what stood out for me. And so I appreciate you even asking that question in that way, because it, it allows me to capture it so that I can use it in my class, because I think it's amazing. I think it's an amazing way to, to unpack certain things 
um, mm-hmm. that are no longer serving us. And I think the idea of a role in the, in the workplace is no longer serving certain women like myself or certain individuals, forget gender, certain individuals mm-hmm. at, and who have decided that um, the idea of a role is too restrictive, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what that that's what came up for me, and I love it actually. I'm glad we actually had the conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I I have a I have a relationship with roles that is based on some of my coach training that has helped me. Um, because you're right, it's it's when we when we think about roles in the traditional sense, whether it's in in the home and society or in the workplace, there's this entanglement. That gets all wrapped up and people get all wrapped up in these roles and they become identity. Right. And and the way I look at roles um, from my coach training and what I do with teams and even with individuals is that the role isn't the person. And there are external roles and there are internal roles and, and what we just talked about, and then there's a way. So external roles might be, you know, the title the job title, you're president, right? Somebody's a a director, somebody's a manager. Those are external roles and they're needed for businesses to operate. People need to do certain things. And so they have descriptions. Here's what this role description is. And then a human being is a human being. And then they occupy the role. And then they have a way of going about forming that role. They can leave and another person can come in and they'll have a way in that same role that they occupy that will look different, but the role never changes. Different person, different way. And their way is based on aspects of themselves. Am I a disruptor? Is it a unifier? Is it a connector? You know, is it an inquirer? Whatever aspect you choose to bring of yourself on a particular day. Right, true, true. You know, so you're still doing things your way, mm-hmm. and you can occupy all sorts of different roles in your life. So that's how I think about roles, and I think it's I think it's a worthy conversation to help people. It allows us to talk about roles in a more healthful way. If we draw distinctions between the human and the role, mm-hmm. so that's that's where I will leave that. So thank you for that. Um, Anything you want to say to that, but that's just, it's just, it's just sort of a wonderful circular conversation, but I think it's worth it for people to hear it and I, see and do, it with, and do with it whatever they will. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, what, what, um, in your experience, because you, you've, you've obviously had a career, right? You're, you're an experienced leader, you're an experienced professional. You started out, I think you said, as a as a chemist, or at least you're trained as a chemist. Now you 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 own a business, you know, and you own a training business, and you're also a service provider as a coach. How has your way shifted over time in the workplace? And what have what have you observed in general about the way of women in the workplace? How has it advanced? How has it expanded and evolved to be even better? Oh, Neil, that that question even set me back in another particular decade. So 
Um, I recall when I started working, women had in my particular agency, when I worked for the federal government, um, women had just left what we call the secretary's pool. Hmm. So women had roles and women were in the secretary's pool. If you were in these agencies, most companies had the pool, P-O-O-L. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I entered the workforce when most of them were coming out of the pool and entering in as um, uh, HR types. Um, some of them were lucky enough. I say lucky because it was not always open as an opportunity to do something more technical, to go back to school, to go acquire a new skill, to put themselves in a unique place. So I watched that. I watched the first generation of these women coming out to be career women. Mm-hmm. Okay in a very traditional agency in the federal government. And so what I noticed over time is that when I entered the workforce as a chemist, um, my shoes were too loud and as far as the the lab was concerned. I I mean, literally there was things that just doesn't make sense. So my my shoes were too loud. So we all know in in certain environments what's safe and not safe, right? So you're supposed to soft sole shoes, the la la, so you don't slip and fall, et cetera. I just didn't want to fall into that norm. I just mm-hmm. wanted, I just wanted to do it my way. And so I did, but you know, that's the disruptor in me. Disruptor. Right. And, and your way. <laughs> right. So what I observed is that when I um, moved into my position as a chemist in this um, agency, um, I evolved from one level to another, progressively moved up the ladder uh, with promotion, of course. And then I left the agency and started working as the contractor in the corporate space. Um, mm-hmm. Again, doing what I love to do. I can tell you that what I experienced as a young woman was that I observed the need to find other talent like me, need to find other women of color, other people of difference um, that were not seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Um, In a lot of ways, be that seventh grade math teacher looking for the individuals that um, were checked out or benched and decided that they didn't wanna participate, giving them the opportunity to reframe what they were experiencing so they can participate for, um, for promotion and visibility. You were, you were um, looking inside the workplace. That's right, okay. inside okay. my own workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I continue to do that. Every level that I, I, I aspire to, you know, I would say, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. And I would find sponsors at the time that would, you know, a mentor that would help me kind of pull up. And then once I got there, I turned around and found some others to take with me. And, and, and so my transition from being a technical person to being a people person mm-hmm. um, was because I fell in love with knowing that. I found talent that other people overlooked and to groom them and to find them, which goes back to my original history, right? So do you see what I'm saying about this connector? Um, But I then became that person. And I did that again and again and again, all the way to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. So what I see for women um, and what has happened over time is that with most groups, you you establish community to be supportive. You establish community to advance, to um, to be a place of safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to share confidentially how you're feeling 
as you continue to survive and potentially thrive. Not thriving wasn't even sometimes an uh, option, but to survive in most cases. Mm -hmm. So I see that over time, we have, I've witnessed some of the most beautiful transformation in the workforce when it comes to women. Uh, I've seen the most amazing transformation when it comes to people of color, period. And to be a participated in one role to identifying this type of talent um, has been amazing because what happens is we typically look at community in a very broad or big way versus thinking that community can just be the people that you have connection to or um, access to. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've always used community and connection as my access. Who do I have mm -hmm. access to? Um, and stayed within that. And then until it broadened itself. So sure, it started small, but now, of course, it's bigger than it was before. But that's what I've noticed. And I think I've it's been quite a beautiful story of growth. Um, but I have I stand on the shoulders of so many who recognize, because again, it didn't take that one seventh grade math teacher to identify my disruptions, right? So it took other people, my mentors, professional mm -hmm. mentors, my professors at universities um, to polish those edges, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To get me to understand my purpose. And then I did the same thing for the people that I identified. And yeah. I never stopped. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I say round off the corners. I love polish, polish as well. You know, so so what I what I think I heard in, in some ways, if I were to reframe and summarize your eloquent description of that journey, is that sort of you saw you saw community evolve in a way that and you used it um, to help you find safety, to find belonging, and then to grow and to repeat that process over time. So there's this cycle of elevating others. Um, and you also found along the way that you have a talent for doing that. Mm -hmm. It's how you ended up where you are right now. The next evolution of you. Wow. So um, that that's a message for you know, this is narrative out there and there's probably some truth to it that women are more relational than men. So, so community makes sense, you know, for, for women, I would say, if we follow that narrative more often than not. But I think this is a powerful message for everybody, and in particular, people in the workplace who are trying to find safety, find confidentiality and grow is to not do it alone, to find community, look at the people around you and to, so that you could look into yourself, you know, and grow, or you could have someone do what you had folks do for you, you know, mm -hmm. you are a you are a leader, right? You're a disruptor and you are a leader. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate it this month uh, so that, you know, men who are listening can hear it, women of color who are listening can hear it, and men who are trying to find their way, particularly men of color in corporate America, there's something to be said about finding community and not doing it alone. You know, Neil, um, I noticed tr traditionally other women may have had the same experience that 
most of my mentors with the exception of two were all men. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, obviously you contribute that to the field of my choice being in science and or on a science mm-hmm. and technology side because it was predominantly male dominated. And it took some very courageous men to decide that they were going to um, promote and or sponsor mm-hmm. um, during a time when it wasn't necessarily um, celebrated. So when I think back of the two women that um, were my sponsors and mentors um, and, and what they chose to do for me, and then of course, me doing the same thing, um, I then attracted, of course, more women to sponsor. And I did most of my mentoring sponsorship for women and of any community. Um, And so I was able to broaden my scope on what support looks like and what mentorship looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, So just to just to honor those individuals, those men who chose to do that during a time when it wasn't celebrated yeah no thank you for that that's that's amazing and you know for me it's probably just the opposite most of my mentors have been women starting with the women in my family you know grandmother mother aunties and uh cousins that rip you into shape consider your age you know they're your contemporaries so they beat you up they beat you up a little bit um, you know, in the younger days, even the, the girls in, in high school and elementary school, they, you know, they keep us in, they kept me in order anyway. And just professionally, um, most of my mentors have been women. My, most of my coaching mentors have been women. Uh, so as I, as I reflect on, on how I got here, uh, and, I, and I'm not even kidding, it's well over 50% probably 75, 80%. Um, so mentoring community, supporting each other is something that uh, I think we can all learn from, I'm going to say the divine feminine, but also um, when I think about diversity and inclusion, there's beauty and power in mentoring across gender or across any dimension of diversity I think it's it makes us better it makes us more powerful um, and when I say powerful I mean coming from that place of our strength our center you know like you learned uh, to do so uh, thank you for sharing that and and you know, it's it's amazing it, this is just a conversation and I think it was perfect that this came up for today for this month and and with you uh, for who you are in the world are there any um Oops. Any words of wisdom that you want to leave with our listeners today? Maybe for women, but I think given who you are, for anybody that's listened to this conversation, what do you want to leave today? I think that what is coming up for me um, as I appreciate this interview more and more as we prepare to close is that for those who are listening, it we're in a new season where it is important for us to recall that if you are on the front lines of change, if you are advocating for any type of change, if you're leading change in your organizations, 
if you are leading change in your communities or maybe even leading change in your family, that the most important gift you can give yourself is to support yourself while you're in the midst of this fight or the struggle because burnout is, is something that's super important, right? Um, to not ignore. We are, we're not superheroes. Um, there are going to be the days where we win and there'll be days when we lose. Going back to that math equation, the idea to test and retest, to push the boundaries, to be willing to fail, to do, but to get up and do it again, the way you are able to survive and thrive in that is to be gentle with yourselves. Mm-hmm. That change does not happen overnight always. To be willing to stay in the fight or to stay in the process as you continue to figure out the multipliers, right? So that you are not uh, quitting five minutes before the miracle. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's the one thing I would love to say, because I've been in this for a long time and I have had wonderful experiences and I've had lots of challenges that I've all embraced. Right. But the gift to give myself is to say it is OK that it didn't work out this time, mm-hmm. this time, this time. Yeah. Spoken like a true scientist and mathematician, you know, all variables matter. If it doesn't work this time, try it again. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tawana. Appreciate you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Leadership Range. If you enjoyed the episode, I invite you to peruse the others for more great conversations. If you know someone you think ought to be on the podcast, please send me an email at neil at neiledwardscoaching.com. To connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash nedwards07. I look forward to you joining in for more conversations each Monday on the Leadership Range.